It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, welcome again to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson, and today I'm happy to be talking with Deborah Bazina from the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute. And we're going to be talking about the FCC ruling this week that grants uh, basically allocates spectrum for Wi-Fi use to what's known as the 5.9 gigahertz band of spectrum. Um, it'll be used for unlicensed indoor use. Uh, the proponents would say it'll improve speeds and reduce congestion on 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. Um, this has been uh, reserved for, I think, more than 20 years for vehicle-to-vehicle and vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, V2V, V2X as we call it, and uh, using a technology known as dedicated short-range communications, DSRC. Um, So, Deborah, I I know you've followed this issue very closely. Um, I guess, give me your thoughts on the FCC ruling. Um, My first thought is that on November 18th, the FCC unanimously voted to value streaming video and entertainment above human life. And to me, that is the whole crux of their um, decision, was to be able to stream, that's what they're talking about, the indoor uh, usage, is streaming more video instead of saving human lives that are being killed needlessly on the roads today. So, you know, we have over 37,000 fatalities on the roads, but that doesn't even address the um, accidents that are causing um, debilitating injuries and life-changing in de- in injuries uh, for for our citizens. Yeah, I've often thought um, when you hear skeptics and people that still kind of uh, you know worry about worry out loud about the various developments in automated vehicles and the you know the, the incremental things that we're doing already with auto braking and lane assist and um, you think about the lives that can be saved just by those things, and when you eventually put it all together, you really are going to cut drastically into those numbers that we accept as a society that 35 to 40,000 people are killed in car crashes every year. And How are we going to look back at this 100 years from now, at this period in our, in our time? Because you know, we wouldn't accept that if they were plane crashes. So Exactly, exactly. And, and I, I, we're still scratching our head, let me put it that way, on it was overwhelmingly negative responses to the NPRM, and yet the FCC went ahead based on this small sliver of people that thought it was a good idea. And those people are really looking at making more money on streaming video. And I just cannot justify that. The FCC doesn't have the data to back them on saying that this is a good thing or this will even work. There's a, a lot of skepticism in the technology arena to say, hey, uh, this doesn't, this, this won't be enough. And in reality, you know, when we go from, they call it, you know, release 14 is, is in this band, but when they go to release 16, which is going to be using the 5G technology, this band won't even be adequate. And, and so what are you really doing? You're, you're really just not using the band at all. And, you know, legally, it doesn't seem that they really can do this either, yet they have. Uh, so I think the first thing that we're going to see is some lawsuits coming out from OEMs or from USDOT itself um, or other uh, interested 
parties like IOO, such as MDOT, um, or the consortium of IOOs, AASHTO, um, uh, because there has been previous rulings by the Supreme Court uh, that says the FCC's power is really to modify existing licensing um, moderately or minorly. And this is neither moderate nor minor, that it is huge. We have $50 million invested in Ann Arbor alone. And this is just one deployment in the United States. There's over 200 deployments in the United States. Not all of them are as large, but there are several very large deployments. And MDOT is one of those. MDOT has deployed hundreds of units throughout um, Michigan. And, and that's not free. Um, so being a minor uh, going in, all of our deployments are DSRC as well as MDOT. So saying that this is minor is not. It's saying that you cannot broadcast DSRC. The ruling is in one year you need to vacate the lower portion of the band, which we all broadcast in. In Ann Arbor, we use the full band. Um, and then secondly, in two years, you have to discontinue use of DSRC. All of us are DSRC. So I don't know how that could be moderate or minor. So before we get into that a little bit more, the, the research uh, component of this and the impact it's going to have on the research that you're doing there, um, would would the advocates for this, or I assume they would say that, you know, this isn't just about streaming cat videos. This is about providing better access. I mean, we're all in favor of, of better broadband, especially in rural areas and, and areas that are underserved now. Um, and that's why it was unanimous vote. Even the Democrats on the commission voted for this. I mean, is that an argument? Um, I'm not really sure that it is. I, I think that it is an argument that we do need to get better Wi-Fi for rural areas or better connectivity for rural areas. I don't think that this is the only solution to do that. And I don't even know that if it's really going to help those areas. What I'm seeing is that they're not talking about getting more um, Wi-Fi for the rural areas. That may be what, what they say, but what I'm seeing is they just want more streaming for the people that already have it. And are willing to pay for it. Exactly. So talk about a little bit more. You talked about the DSRC and what it means to the RSUs that you already have deployed in the Ann Arbor area and the campus at U of M. Um, and what MDOT's done, does it make all those investments uh, worthless? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it totally, totally worthless. So, and again, we're talking $50 million right out the window. I don't know how much MDOT has spent, but I'm sure it was significant as well. Um, yeah, we're going to have to start from pretty much from scratch. I mean, we do have fiber cables uh, that and communication lines, you know, that go to those sites. Uh, so that'll save us a, a little bit of money, but you know, really all the devices will have to be taken down. So later uh, I'll be talking with Colin Castle, who's the ITS program manager at MDOT, uh, but I know he's he's told me that, that this is a major stall. It's a major setback for the progress that we were making in research and development of ways for vehicles to communicate with each other and uh, really all the things that we know need to happen, that, that this is a major setback in that progress. It sounds like you feel that way too. Oh, I agree 100%. Um, you know, I, I think that the move, the FCC's move will in effect render what's left of the safety spectrum useless for, for preventing crashes in the U.S. Um, so I, I, I think that even narrowing it uh, to the 30 megahertz is not going to be adequate in the long run. And 
so it'll, it'll be just useless. Well, so as somebody who's studied these kinds of things and dealt with other issues at the state and federal level, um, can you think of a parallel for this where 50 DOTs and so many organizations, research, universities, were so unanimous in, in something and yet the a federal agency went the other way? I do not have an example of that. And, and I'm still, again, scratching my head going, I, I don't... I don't quite understand. If everyone, 90% of the people are against it, then how are we letting the 10% rule? Well, and you probably heard, uh, you know, what, what the chairman had to say. I think his exact quote was, today at long last we say in a unified bipartisan voice, time's up. Yeah, so I'm more in alignment with um, Shailen Bott, the ITS America president, and he just outright says the Chairman Pai's statement is wrong. Uh, it is corporate interests that are cheering the reallocation of the safety spectrum away from public interests. Yeah, I, I, I saw what Shalen said, and I, I uh, plan to include that in the in the show notes. So, um, well, have you, you guys haven't had time to, I mean, you, you anticipated this as a possibility, but you haven't had time to really reset and rethink everything at Umtree and what you're going to do probably. No, and in, and in fact... It, it brings in a new level of uncertainty. You know, we just uh, did a proposal to USDOT on um, converting the environment to a dual DSRC CVDEX environment to show that you can have both and we can provide a solution so that OEMs don't have to choose between DSRC and CVDEX, that they can go ahead and deploy either. So instead of saying, you know, put all your eggs in one basket or another, that you don't, you know, it's mitigating the risk for the OEMs and tier ones. And that's flexibility um, that industry wanted, right? Exactly. And so now I'm unsure on, on how that will pan out, if anything, um, which I thought was a very valuable um, deployment for USDOT. Um, maybe it's going to need to look a little bit different. Um, but it, it's, it's really just hard to say what we're going to end up looking like in Ann Arbor. And it will be a matter of funding. Uh, like I said, we've already spent a lot of money, um, nothing that we can recoup. And so how do we move on from here to secure additional funds? Uh, it's not like, you know, everyone here is just making a, a ton of money and they're just giving it away. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, We're in the middle of a pandemic and things are a little bit bleak. We'll talk a little bit about Umtree and, and your work, I guess, you know, at a, at a high level, what, what Umtree does. Um, so Umtree um, was founded in 1965, and it focuses on anything to do with transportation. So we've been doing transportation research for 55, almost 56 years this, this year. Um, and uh, what I do at the university is a connected vehicle technology. So we've had a connected deployment since safety pilot model deployment was launched in 2012. And we have been upgrading the environment and just maintaining and operating in the environment the, the last few years. Um, and so we currently have 75 roadside unit sites and uh, 1,750 vehicles deployed in the environment. All of those are DSRC. The environment does include uh, four pedestrian sites. So along Plymouth Road, we have mid-block crosswalks. And we have a vision system and a phone app um, that we're testing um, to see how effective that, that is. So when there's a pedestrian in the crosswalk, either the vision system or if they have a phone app will communicate with the roadside unit and they will generate a message 
that vehicles in the vicinity that are equipped can hear, and then that uh, onboard unit will determine if they need to warn the driver about the pedestrian in the crosswalk. And maybe uh, so just stop the vehicle without even warning the driver. That is, yeah, that's the next step. So ours is a warning-only system at the moment, but yeah, there's nothing there's nothing stopping OEMs from doing that next step of taking control of the vehicle. Yeah. You know, as we, as we know, two pedestrian uh, fatalities are on the rise yes. across the country, and so this was very important work um, to be done. Yeah, do you have and a theory on why that is? I mean, um, is it because, you know, more urban living, more people are walking, or is it, you know, distracted walking, just like distracted driving? I mean, is it all those things? I think it's actually both of those, but I don't have any data to back up my opinions. Yeah. So right now, it's just an opinion, but I think a lot of it is to do of people are trying to do healthy living and walking more when they can, um, and then the distraction factor. Yeah, I know the, the folks the phones, that... Street. Right, exactly, and the folks at yeah, MDOT. And the people in the cars, yeah. you know, same thing. So a lot more traffic, pedestrian traffic, and then more destruction. Yeah, that's it's very, very concerning. Um, yeah, our folks that study those things are very concerned, too, about what's going on with pest pedestrians and, and cyclists, because there's more cyclists on the road, yeah. and, and, you know, obviously yeah. they're not protected, so. Yeah, typically I just say vulnerable, vulnerable road users. Yeah. But uh, that's this, and the system does detect both. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, Deborah, for taking time to do this. Your your thoughts My are pleasure. very helpful. All right. So once again, we're still talking about the FCC ruling Wednesday that uh, decided to give up about half of the the lower portion of the the spectrum. And now I've got Colin Castle, who is the ITS program manager at MDOT, has been following this issue very closely. Colin, uh, talk. I guess high level first about what this means to MDOT and other DOTs. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. So, so the the the, the ruling in the first first report and order kind of has three components. So the first part of it is is it takes of the seventy five megahertz, forty five megahertz of that spectrum on the lower end, and allows for um, unlicensed wireless uses. So um, you can think of that as you know, any wireless device that you would, you know, stream videos or, or you know, stream music, for example. So non-transportation safety purposes. Uh, the second part of this is it takes the upper 30 megahertz of that spectrum um, and allows for a new uh, technology to, to be applied, which is called cellular uh, VDAC. So it's, it's uh, foundationally a different technology than what's currently used in the spectrum. So currently there's a, a technology called dedicated short-range communications, which is Wi-Fi based. Uh, this new technology is cellular based, so they're, they're incompatible um, by design. And then the third piece of this is there's a transition period that would occur. So all of the current licensed devices that are DSRC based, they have to transition into that upper 30 megahertz within a year. And then there's a, a longer kind of implementation period where those, those technologies have to completely vacate the spectrum, and then cellular VDAX technologies can use that 30 megahertz. So to, to make this really basic, why is there only a, a finite amount of, of bandwidth? Yeah, so a number of years ago, the FCC allocated a specific amount of bandwidth, 75 megahertz, specifically um, for transportation safety purposes. And, you know, they're, they're, the, the spectrum is very crowded, obviously, with a number of interests um, related to, you know, growing the wireless economy, um, a number of things. And so, so that, that, that spectrum was allocated. It's been sitting there for a number of years, and it's been being used um, 
by the transportation industry specifically around research and development and um, development of safety applications. So it's a it's a very finite resource that, that we had for a number of years, and now it's um, a portion of it is being um, given away to other purposes. What limits it, though? I guess is what I'm wondering from you know the the electromagnetic uh, standpoint. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's just there's there's only think of it as almost like. Um, Bandwidth is like a, a, a pipe, okay? And so there's only so much water that can flow through a pipe. And it's a similar situation when it comes to, to these bandwidths. There's only so much um, data that can be pushed through uh, that, that bandwidth or that pipe. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. I think that's a good way to explain it. That's a good metaphor. So um, I guess, you know, we know that the, the, the most severe critics, uh, ITS America and others, say that this was strictly a, a business decision. This is all about, uh, you know, where the money is and that there's money to be made in, in more Wi-Fi, more devices, uh, more of those kinds of uses versus uh, vehicles. But, but we're talking about safety. I mean, they're framing it very much as, you know, people's safety versus the business interests. Um, I, I think the proponents of this would also say that there is uh, another component to that. If we talk about you know increased broadband in rural areas and just giving more people access to the internet, I mean, is is that a, a fair argument? Um, yeah, I, I I would say that obviously the the need to you know grow the wireless economy and give you know folks access to 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 you know broadband is is are all important you know topics. However. There's there's a lot of spectrum that's available for those use cases. I think the biggest um, the biggest thing that's frustrating is that you know 75 megahertz is not a lot of spectrum. Um, there really over the last several years had been a number of um, you know efforts underway to take advantage of that spectrum. I know all 50 state DOTs supported keeping all 75 megahertz for transportation safety, um, and so it. While I understand, you know, those uses and, and I think they're they're relevant, I think that transportation safety and the use of the, that entire spectrum should be the number one priority, um, particularly knowing that it's a technology that we know can can save lives today. Um, and so, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think um, it's made, you know, made believers out of you and me. Um, you, you're in the trenches on this, and I've been watching this now for a few years uh, from a different perspective, high level. But... I'm totally convinced that the the more we more research we do and the more we develop uh, AI for driverless vehicles, that the fewer crashes there's going to be and the fewer people are going to die. And if we're going to accept thirty-five to forty thousand people a year dying on the highways, when we would never accept that if they were plane crashes, I mean, it really seems absurd. And I think someday our children and children's children are going to look back on the era of the automobile and, and wonder what the heck we were thinking. So if, if you look at it that way, that this is, this is all about safety, um, where do you think this is eventually going? I mean, this is a setback, but do you, do you think this really kind of derails or stalls the progress that we've made with V2V? Um, you know, it definitely puts a, a moment of pause for, for folks. Um, so, for example, from an MDOT perspective, we have hundreds of roadside units out there that are DSRC-based. So... We now have to kind of take a step back and look at, um, you know, one, you know, what is our approach going to be strategically um, to potentially either retrofit or replace the existing infrastructure, knowing that we have limited resources. 
Um, and then, you know, the, the, the future conversation around planned infrastructure, knowing that um, we're limited to only, you know, 30 megahertz of the spectrum, which a lot of folks believe is, is not enough to, to really um, accomplish all of the safety use cases that folks have identified. And there's also a lot of potential for interference within that band. So a number of, of, of folks are saying that they believe that that 30 megahertz may be much less usable than what is being described by the FCC. So I think it's a it's it's going to be a really interesting time for MDOT to decide how they want to proceed forward on utilizing these technologies. So break that down a little more, I guess, in practical terms. What does the the FCC decision block us from doing at MDOT? So so what it does is it it you know currently we're operating these roadside units all seven channels, a number of different types of safety applications. For example, at signalized intersections, we're broadcasting um, signal phase and timing information in a map, and vehicles can take advantage of that for, um, you know, red light violation warning applications, for example. So, so what they're doing is they're saying, okay, now you have to not use those channels. You have to move all of your operations into the, the upper portion, which now squeezes the amount of available bandwidth. And you also introduce potential um, potential interference from these unlicensed devices. And then what it does is it says, well, okay, now that you've transitioned into a smaller uh, you know piece of spectrum, um, now you have to completely transition to a brand new technology. And so um, what it does is it severely impacts our current operations, and then it, it changes our decision-making into the future um, because we, we don't necessarily know how usable that spectrum is. So that's a very real example. You talk about how those signals would communicate with a vehicle. Basically, you're saying that it could tell the vehicle that the light is red and, and you better stop. Correct. And, and that's one of the day one use cases when we've been working with you know, the automotive industry, the OEMs and suppliers, um, that's one of the first kind of cooperative um, applications that we've really worked to try and um, standardize across, you know, really the entire U.S. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it will be impacted. Yeah, so when people, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've had these conversations and these thoughts, and when people say they're still skeptical of the automated driving technology, and you see, you know, a commercial for one of the automakers that has auto braking now, and somebody's dropping off their child at school and they're distracted and suddenly their car stops on its own because they would have run into somebody or something. I mean, that's got to make a believer out of you, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, folks, you almost don't even realize that it's happening. Uh, similar to when um, you think about adaptive cruise control, and that was something that folks were kind of um, a little bit frightened of at first. But now you think about adaptive cruise control and lane keeping together. And so we're kind of seeing increased automation over time to the point where I think eventually folks are just going to get into a vehicle and, you know, it's going to drive itself. And, and they were part of that whole transition all along. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's just going to happen gradually. And then they're, you're, you like each of these, you know, taken apart. But then you realize that put all together, it makes your car much safer and being able to to, to communicate with what you call V2X, communicate with all of the infrastructure is going to be important too. So I guess yep. the bottom line, what you're telling us is that uh, this will probably end up taking more resources, costing more money, uh, requiring more research, and just so it will take more time to get where we need to be. That is 100% correct. Yeah. 
So when does this uh, take effect? Uh, is this like immediate? Yeah, so, so the way it works is um, the, the ruling is allowing for immediate um, use of these unlicensed devices in an indoor setting in the 45 megahertz. Um, and then we have, or users of the spectrum, the incumbent licensees who are using DSRC um, have a year to transition um, into that upper 30 megahertz. And then there's still some discussion around and future comment around the transition completely out of the spectrum um, to all CVDX operations. So, so yeah, so um, we have to start planning and deciding how we're gonna um, you know, repurpose our devices today. So as if your job wasn't challenging enough. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, all in a day's work. So. <laughs> well, thanks, Colin. I think we'll be talking about this more as this evolves and progresses, and we'll see how it goes. But thanks for taking time to help explain it. All right, no problem. Thanks, Jeff. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.